The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 184 on the OneOuter.com podcast sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for the show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them to me or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 184, you're back. How did the main event go? Oh man, it's amazing. I'm now the champion. It's uh, it's incredible. You know, they drape the U.S. flag over my shoulders and I walk through the streets like Rocky yelling, Adrian. It's uh, our, you know, I'm still in Queens and it's uh, June 29th, one or the other. <laughs> it's, but, uh, uh, yeah, man, uh, no, I am in uh, Long Island City right now, just for everybody listening. We're recording these ahead of time, just so you got a little something to stave the poker hunger while I'm away trying to make millions of dollars. And thank, thank you for having me here, Barry. Yeah, how is Queens? You touched on it last time in the podcast about your new apartment and stuff. How are you finding uh, your new place and where you're living in that? Oh man, I love it. Like I can't. <laughs> I I I have no way around it. It's well, Queens is the most diverse borough in the world. Like it's the most diverse place in the world. And so it, the thing you don't think about before you move here is whenever I'm cooking and I go, I want to cook that, and you can just go out and get it. Like you can just get fresh everything. And there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of things to do. The train is uh, 10 minutes away from Manhattan. So, like, if you want to go to a Broadway play, that's, like, 10 minutes away or something like that. If you want to be really highfalutin or if you want to go to just the old comedy clubs that you always see in Seinfeld and stuff like that, you can you can go to them. Like, you just get on the train. It costs a couple dollars. And living in New York is just really magical. I... I really think this might be I can't live here forever just because the density of people is a little too intense and I don't know if in my later 30s I'm really going to like that but for my early 30s I just really like it here there's so much going on there's it it was amazing to me the other day so I wanted to go see the Staten Island Yankees which is like this minor league team and it, so to get to this island it cost me two dollars to essentially. I get on the subway ten feet away from my house, and my house, my apartment, and then I take the train, and the train like drops me off right at the ferry terminal. The ferry to Staten Island is free, and then I go to this ballpark where there's a waterfront view of Manhattan in the outfield, right on like a warm day, and you're just watching the ferries go back and forth, and it's. 10 bucks, and there's no one there. Because in New York, there's 500,000 things to do at any time. You can do anything you want. And it, it, it's amazing. You go out to, you, you go to Jersey, and you, you can watch, like, the, there's two football teams, there's two soccer teams, things like that. Sorry, Barry, soccer. There's two football and superior football teams, or whatever. But there's, you know, I just love it here. There's, so much going on there's they're just little things that are weird like there's a Maltese bakery down the street from my house and I lived in Malta for a year and I developed a taste for some of the sweets there and it's so bizarre to me 
I can walk down the street here and talk to a guy who's Maltese and get the exact same stuff I could get in Malta. It, and if I go to Flushing, it feels just like being in South Korea. Uh, if I go to Jackson Heights, it feels exactly like Costa Rica. The food will taste the same. The coffee will taste the same. The green tea and flushing will taste the same. The miso soup or whatever. And it's just, I, I feel really blessed to be out here. But it is, it is expensive. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one problem. It's like every time I leave the house, I spend $40 and I have no idea how. It, it's really interesting how that works. But uh, the other thing, I love music, and there's, like, literally any day of the week, there are 40 concerts going on in the city, whereas you and I have both lived in small cities. Like, when there's a concert, like, everybody knows about it two months in advance. You've been, you've been there, right, mm-hmm. Barry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like, well, you have to go see it. It's the one. Well, I got work tomorrow at 6 a.m. Doesn't matter. We're going, bro. And here it's just, ah, I'll catch them when they come back in another eight days when they're in another borough. So, yeah, I love it out here, man. I can't, uh, I can't complain. And my apartment's way nicer than I deserve, so that's good. Do you play any live in New York? Is there any games or anything going that you sometimes go to or that you can talk about or anything? or? There is some private games. I, I honestly, I've been playing a lot online. I've been trying to play cash games every day online because that's really what I have time for. And I just don't have the patience for, uh, like, live poker. In a, You have to be in a specific mood to play private games because in private games they talk with each other a lot. It's... It's kind of fascinating when you're young, like, hey, that guy's got sunglasses with a bullet hole. That's interesting. But as you get older, it's like, God, these guys talk a lot during the hands. And can we just go to the next one? Can we go, like, you have nothing. We all know it. You got caught. Can we just, you know, not have the two-minute speech Mm -hmm. where you keep up your wry character? Like, I get it. It's cool. But whereas... Playing poker in Bullhead City, playing live poker in Bullhead City was honestly much more fun because, or not Bullhead City, Laughlin, Nevada, but senior citizens play so fast. Have you ever noticed that, Barry? Yeah, yeah. They're just like, I'm done with this. Give me my coffee. It's like, I love you guys. (laughs) It's, uh, and then if they do make fun of me, it's kind of like when Scotsmen or like Irish people make fun of you, like, it's very funny. So, like, even though it's scathing, it's so funny, you can't help but laugh. But, yeah, uh, I don't really get that as much. To be honest with you, I've only played a little bit out here in New York. It, it was fine. But, uh, no, I play mostly online. I play mostly cash. Uh, Ignition's little uh, Zoom poker ripoff, which I forgot the name of, is pretty fun. And, yeah, I look, uh, that, that tends to be where I'm playing most of my poker now. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get into some questions. And this one is from Omi. That is how you pronounce her name. And it is, Hi Barry and Alex. Thank you guys for putting together this podcast. I love that you guys talk about more than poker. One thing I enjoy about live poker is sitting down with some folks and just talking about all kinds of things except poker. I like mixing it into the conversation, but only if it's interesting and not just bashing this guy's play or that guy's play. Listening to you two reminds me of some of my best live sessions, like the time where I played uh, with this guy at the Borgata who was on vacation. He used to be a prize fighter and then went on to become a captain in corrections. That guy had some really interesting stories. It never ceases to amaze me how much ingenuity people have when given no other choice. I could make a poker connection there, but I'll leave that to you guys. Sorry, I digress. I have a question about no vig tourneys. Assuming average structure, how would you calculate it would add to your expected value if you didn't have to pay a fee, just the amount that goes into the prize pool? Everything else is the same as a typical tourney, but it does have re-entries and a voluntary add-on that goes to the dealer's pool. Example, $60 entry, no vig. $10 add-on. It pays out 12% of the field. 
And if you just want to tell me the math, I'd be happy to figure it out. Thanks for all the great stuff. Keep it coming. I... My buddy tried to explain this to me one time, where he was discussing how the add-on was... How the add-on in this one particular online tournament pretty much erased your VIG. And the idea I got was it was about 10% of your ROI just is dumped off, which I guess makes sense, which is, okay, so let's say your ROI is 100% in this $60 tournament, but the average fee is $6 to enter, right? Well, so you enter, you enter for 60 Magically, you get your exact expectation, which is 120. Uh, 60 of that is profit, and then six goes to the entry fee. Well, there you go. It it just locked off 10% of your profit. Uh, now, what I just gave you has nothing to do with ICM, and I'll be honest with you. ICM is something I always outsource. Uh, when I when I lived with a German economist. It, yeah, he's officially got the title now, I think. But it, anyway, he's the guy I wrote Sharp Staking with. Or more, he wrote a lot, and then I added some stories to it just to punch it up a bit. But uh, he's, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And I said, okay, I want you to teach me ICM. And the thing I really respected about him was he, he said, like, people overcomplicated a lot. There's a lot of, like, little things that people make a big deal out of that aren't a big deal. And there's a lot of stuff people don't talk about, which are actually really important. And I was lucky enough to meet, there's one guy, I'm not going to say his name. He's uh, because he'd probably shoot me if I said his name, but he has made more money from poker than anyone I know. And he never plays poker. He just knows who to buy. He knows what to invest in. He knows everything. Back when deposit bonuses were a big thing, he made more money at that than probably any, many of us have made money at poker. And he, he had the same approach with ICM. And the thing I got was like, it's roughly about 10% of your ROI. Now, or it's, you know, you subtract it straight from your ROI, but let's say you're, let's say your ROI is actually pretty slim in the tournament, which it can be in these very fast structures, uh, a lot of times you're not even beating the rake. And if you think about it, this really happens in Sidengo's a lot, which was in Sidengo's, uh, if there was no rake, people would be making a ton more money. When they were really making a 5% ROI, that was very slimly getting past the rake. And... That was why, remember at one point, poker stars increased the rake, Barry, and they were just saying, like, heads up, Sidengo's are effectively dead now. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, th I think if you look into those threads, you would find a much more finesse-laden analysis of what the tournament rake does to an ROI. And I, I think, honestly, Ami, I'm not a specialist when it comes to ICM. I got my lessons from two guys I think are pretty good. It got me to the EPT San Remo final table, just knowing when to shove when other people weren't. Are in, if you read the updates from that tournament, people are like, this is pretty bizarre how much he's moving all in. But I would not call myself a specialist in that format. So I, I think you're going to have to – I don't – I think I gave you the basics of what you need to understand. But I, if you dug deeper and you found out even more, I wouldn't be surprised. So go look for it if, if – your heart needs it. Okay. And uh, the next question is from G, who I mentioned on the hey, last... Hey, Barry, I don't think you unmuted yourself. Okay. Um, yeah, the mute button's playing up sometimes. I, it didn't play up the last episode, but um, I don't know what's happening with Skype. But uh, me, me and Alex were talking about this before the last show. Um, we were moaning about um, money transfer stuff and PayPal and other sites and things like that. And that's me just moaning about how the mute button 
<laughs> it sticks. Sometimes you press it and it doesn't mute, and then it mutes about five seconds or ten minutes later, and you don't realise it's on. But yeah, I am having a call with a guy who's in New York, uh, USA just now. I'm in Scotland, and it costs us nothing extra apart from our you know internet connection, which we're paying for already. And we do a podcast that lots of people listen to, and I met some listeners when I flew out to Vegas a few weeks ago. So to moan about the mute button, uh, please forgive me, Skype. I, d- I don't mean it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite crazy. Uh, it's like that sketch, you can't remember the comedian when he's moaning about the Wi-Fi on planes now. People moan about that now. Like, your Wi-Fi's not working. You're flying 40,000 feet in the air. You know, you're watching these great films on these little LCD screens, <laughs> yeah. you're getting drinks handed to you and snacks and you're moaning now that the Wi-Fi that didn't exist a few years ago on a flight, now it's like, this is crap, it's not working. Or worse, you're moaning about the speed of the Wi-Fi in the air while you're trying, you know, it's, it's, it's human, it's humans. Um, okay, let's get the next question and it is from G, who I did mention on the last show, it was uh, going to be a couple of questions from this guy and this one is hello Alex do you usually check with two pair when the turn completes a flush or straight cart and you do not block a lot of the strong hands is then check call in mode best in general because saving chips is valuable and I do not need to fear getting outdrawn and I do not get stacked off every time by check call in mode if Dylan has turned a flush in a straight. Say we have 22 big blinds pre-flop and it is a tournament and we are already in the money. Thanks, G. Uh, Generally, well, the question you always got to get ask yourself is, will they call with weaker hands if I bet out there? There's there's some guys I play with on the tour where – I'm thinking of one specific hand. I'm not going to say the player's name, but he's a he's a very aggressive player. And when the flush draw comes, he's always trying to bat at it. So I had two pair in this particular hand, and I just rammed it. And he snap called me with pop pair, and then I doubled up. Whereas there's other guys. If you read my upcoming book, one of the things I talk about is people do not like to fold pairs. There are some specific boards, though, where people will like to fold pairs on the turn. But if you got in the habit of not trying to fold out pairs, that wouldn't be a bad idea because it's really hard to figure out who's going to call with a pair or who's going to fold with a pair. If you've noticed, I'm sure you've seen that in Vegas, Barry, or just anywhere. Sometimes an old-timer hangs on with a pair, and sometimes the young guy seems to make a thin fold on the turn. It's, it's really hard to figure out who is who, right? I think it's marginal hands, usually. That's why they're cut, isn't it? Sometimes people will hang on, sometimes they don't. And, yeah. Yeah, the people you least expect sometimes do. It's one of, yeah, it's one of those things I, I'm not going to bet a lot of money on. Like, can't, hey, Alex, do you think you can get a tournament player to fold a pair? Well, n- no. Not most of the time. But there are a few boards where I think you can get a guy to fold a pair. And that if a straight draw completes, he's not going to have the straight 70-plus percent of the time. So that's a great time to bet as a bluff because a lot of times they'll fold their top pair, their second pair, stuff like that. When a flush draw comes in, they don't have that 70-plus percent of the time. If they cold-balled you... In position, they don't have a flush 80% of the time because you think about it, from the big blind, you'll call with king do suited. You're not really likely to cold call with that on the button. So there's less flush draws for the guy to be hitting when he cold calls you in position. But the, the fact remains, the majority of the time, the guy doesn't have it. So it becomes a really good time to bet as a bluff. Now, if it's a really good time to bet as a bluff, it, it really stands to reason it wouldn't be a good time to bet thin way for value. That makes a lot of sense. Now, some guys say, well, you got to balance. And I go, really, you need to balance against the guy you're playing 28 hands with at the gold nugget, okay? Uh, I don't get it, but sure. Uh, it, it, I guess there's a balancing function if you're playing with the people all day and you think you're going to run this bluff again and again. But I, I kind of think that's a cop-out. Uh, so... 
I, I think that's a great way to sound like you've solved it when really it just, it sounds like, I don't know, it doesn't really, does that sound concise to you, Barry? Like, I'm betting here as a bluff, so I also have to do that with two parents. Like, well, shouldn't one or the other work? A- am I right on that? Do you feel that way? No, I think so. Yeah, and it's like, like that's why the balancing stuff always rubs me the wrong way. It's like, yeah, I, I get it if you're playing... Uh, Martin Jacobson or something like that. You're going to have to balance, but uh, well, I, I don't you, really... You said it a few shows ago, I think, and it's so true. I've always said this myself. It's people talk about balancing, like, oh, I, I do the same there with a, you know, with a, with the nuts or with Total Air on the river. And you say, well, do you know the guy? You're playing in some stop in a different country where you're probably never going to play live again with the guy. Um, right. So how? Why do you need to balance? I don't. I don't know. I don't understand. Well, I mean, it, the, the question that always got me is how many times did Chip Reese balance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like right, Doyle Brunson like playing at home games trying to fleece guys their money. Do you think Doyle ever went? Gotta balance my range here, partner, and then put it in. Like I don't. I think he probably asked himself. I think he. I think this is a Doyle Brunson quote. What is the right? decision in this instance, nothing else matters. And that, that guy owns half of Montana off of his poker earnings, so I'm going to guess he's slightly better than I, I am at this game. And generally what I found is what I'll do is I'll bet like really small, really small. And what ends up happening is they think, oh, he's doing one of the... Because when a guy bets really small on a scare board, you've called that a lot of times before, Barry, and just found it was a stupid bluff. It, uh, would you agree with that? If someone say that again? Like, have you ever had, like, a straight draw complete, and then the guy, like, didn't look that confident but bet, like, third pot, and you went, okay. Mm-hmm. Then you called, and then you saw, like, a kind of a dumb bluff. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it happens a lot, and a lot of what I come up for with strategies is a lot of my students don't look like professional poker players, so I'm thinking, okay, how can we use this camouflage to their advantage, and one of the things I think of is, what's a play that bad players do that we can adapt for our own good? So something I do is with that two-pair, and it works for me too, even though I look like the definition of an online player, uh, and is you bet, like, one-third pot. And then the other guy sitting there with second pair goes, okay, moron, I'm going to call. And then on the river you do another, quote, bad bluff, quote, and bet small again. And the guy calls you again with third pair, and then you go, here's my two pair. And then you get the, you get that reaction, right? I always, whenever I hear, I know, like, oh, I got you punk like like well whenever you get the like god you're a fish look with a value bet that means that's probably the best value bet you're going to see the entire day right now he brings up g brings up a very big good point which is what do you do with 22 big blinds and you're not going to like this answer but a lot of times i just go broke it's i i do my little bet i get called when i do get called nobody ever seems to notice which is most of the time and because for some reason, people people really get off on calling all-ins. Have you noticed that, Barry? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make sure Barry is paying attention the entire episode now after what happened last one. <laughs> but uh, do you notice how people, like, really get off to calling all-ins? Have, have you noticed that? In, in, what, in what sense? Like, someone shoves like, their last 20 blinds? Or? Like, somebody, somebody shoves, like on the turn, like 10x or whatever they have left, and the guy goes, I think you're bluffing. I think you're bluffing. I think you're bluffing. All right, you want action? You want action? Have you <laughs> ever seen a guy fold there? No. Have you ever seen him fold? Like, what they're really trying to do is go, like, look, I'm going to argue with myself for a minute, so if I make a bad call, you know I didn't really want to do it. They're, like, hedging. I, al- I also think it's to get the rest of the table looking so they've got an audience. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, to make sure people like, do you want to call? You want me? Like, yeah, I'll call because they think they're good. You know, they're. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's I've never thought of it from that angle, but I feel like people really get off the calling all in. So a lot of times I'll jam with my set or my two pair, 
when the flush draw comes in and the guy calls me, I show the set and I go, oh, God, do I have to turn my hand over? And I'm like, yes, you do. And the, But nobody really seems to notice that. But when you jam into the flush, you just feel like the biggest horse's ass on planet Earth. But combinatorically, the guy, if that's a word, combinatoric-wise, the guy doesn't have it seven times out of ten, eight times out of ten. And I'm not betting on live players being able to fold. And online, they fold a little bit more, but, like, then you're playing on the wrong networks. Like, if you're playing a lottery site in Sweden, that, that guy's calling you a second pair. If you're playing on America's Card Room, you're getting called by some goofy stuff. Like, God, I love ACR. <laughs> I can't. I I, oh, crap, I admit it, I, uh, anyway, but, uh, I, I, uh, it's, I, it's just amazing how wide people will call you in these tournaments, and I think you got to take advantage of that, and I think the easiest way to do that is with small bets, because the other thing is, the flush draw comes, you bet small, and the guy raises, and then the guy who bets small time bags, I'm like, why are you time banking? When was the when was the last time you called there and the guy had second pair with the nut flush draw? Like, can you can you remember an instance, Barry? Can you can you remember that? No, they're usually good. Yeah, they're usually good. Like, I mean, it happens, but it, it's again again you set up a ratio. Like, how often do I call there and they're good, and how often do uh, I call there and they're bad, right? And a- anyway. Uh, it, I think generally the smaller bet is the way to go. I hope that I hope that works for you, G. Okay, and G certainly gets his money's worth from the one hour podcast. Here's another question from him, <laughs> and th- this is the last one we have in from him just now. Uh, but I'm joking, G. Keep them coming. There's there's no limit. Questions uh, for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I do just read them out as they come in. So. Um, whenever you get them in uh, the inbox uh, this one is hello Alex I do often semi-bluff with draws but on certain boards it seems not working as desired for example on ace-high boards villains seem to always have the ace giving me no fold equity and losing roughly two times out of three on which boards should we in general be more careful of even or even avoiding semi-bluffing thanks G damn I got to work early today you know, sometimes I look forward to the one-hour podcast. It's like, oh, I'll just BS with Barry a bit. Blame G. Oh. This G's ruining it. <laughs> oh, it's like, G's like, no, you're going to work. Yeah. Like, every time you go, like, I got a question from G, my, my first thought is, <laughs> <laughs> That's like when I hear, I'm going to make sure Barry's paying attention here. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you know how I feel. Yeah. you got to do some for your money, Barry. Jeez. <laughs> We we get all right. I'm gonna complain. We get a check from ACR each month. I write a bunch of strategy articles for it and do 90% of the talking on these podcasts. All I ask for from Barry is when I throw an idea at you, throw it back to me. Like, yeah, that's right, Alex. Thank you. And Barry's like, sorry, I had you muted last time. <laughs> it's like playing handball with the drapes sometimes, Barry. Come on, let's go. Let's go. We got this. Okay, now, Bear, Bear, when Barry makes no noise, that makes me think he's offended. You offended, Barry? Yeah, deeply. Huh? Deeply. Huh? I'm deeply offended. <laughs> I, I thought you said me, Clay. I was like, no, okay. no, 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 no. I was, uh, all right. All right, G. Let me answer you. Now that Barry and G are whipping me into more poker answers, hold on a second. Uh, the big thing with semi-bluffing, you make a really good point, which is, like, let's take the board, like, ace-5-8, okay? You have jack-10. You raise the button, big blind calls. We'll always do button, big blind, because it's easier. Uh, and the board comes ace-5-8. He checks you. You bet, because he either has an ace or he has nothing. And he calls. Turns a nine. Well, he checks you. You have an open-ended straight draw, but... Here are the two options everybody thinks they have, which is they can bet half pot or they can check. Now, if those are the two options, you should check because something I teach a lot of 
guys, is you're trying to fold out high cards. Once somebody tells you they have a pair, it's really hard to know if they're going to fold a pair or not. There's some boards that just wash up so bad they're going to fold pairs, but there's not a ton of them. And Ace, Five, Eight, Nine, you think about it, if you got an eight, are you really worried about the nine? If you got a five, are you really worried about the nine? Probably not. And a lot of guys just go, hey, I don't like you, kid. I'm going to call with my pair. People have a hard time folding pairs. I always say this as a joke in my lessons, but it's somewhat true. I say, hey, do you want to know how everybody plays poker? And they go, uh, yeah. Okay, you ready for it? Yeah. They fold eye cards. They call with pairs. They raise two or pair or better. There you go. I just explained how 99% of people play on Earth. Now, that sounds pretty simplified, but if you look across the data, that's how the vast majority of people play. If they have a pair, they're not going to fold. So if you ever watch me double barrel, I found, I started categorizing for what I did well and what I don't do well in tournaments a while ago, and I found my three bet was lights out. So that's something I teach very, I think I teach very well. My targeting is very good. My C-betting is really good. I, I really like how I play that. My pre-flop, my pre-flop raising is excellent. My C-betting is excellent. My double barreling game was pretty damn bad. And I looked at that, and why, why that was is I kept going, I would fold a pair here if I were him. And then the other guy goes, sweet, I've got a pair, and they call, right? So... That's not really a good strategy. And when you're semi-bluffing, it's like, okay, I got a little bit of a rebate here. But that doesn't – when you say, like, okay, let's take that ace, five, eight, nine there. You say, like, okay, cool, I've got eight outs. Uh, I'm going to hit the river 20% of the time. It's not that. But let's say that, right, 17.8 or whatever the hell it is. Eight divided by 46, uh, whatever that is, right? And – you, you say that, and it's like, oh, cool, so my half-pot bet needs to work here 33% of the time, but he's probably just going to call me most of the time, so I actually get an 18% rebate, so this bet only needs to work 15% of the time. Well, if his folding range is zero, it's not working. You do make some more money on the river when you hit, but I found, like, I got to those numbers, and I was like, meh. I don't like these numbers in my database. So I started making some adjustments. And what I found was double barrels work when people call you with high cards. So let's say the board comes 8-4-3, you bet really small, and the guy calls you with any jack high, queen high, king high, ace high, because, hell, he doesn't feel like folding on this board, and I've got position, damn it. And you bet again on the turn, and they go, okay, you probably have something I fold. On an ace 5 Eight nine board. Let's take that. When the guy calls you on the flop, he might have called you with a couple king eyes, but that's about it. His queen eyes go into the muck. His jack eye goes into the muck. And if he's got a pair, he doesn't like folding pairs. I said this once on a podcast, and I got so many emails saying like that's exactly how I think. Which is, uh, people do this on the turn. It's like I'm going to call and see what he does on the river. I got a hundred emails, not a hundred hyperbole, hyperbole. A lot of emails saying, like, that's exactly how I think I'm so embarrassed, which is I just don't want to fold my pairs. And if you read uh, Daniel Kahneman and they talk about they set up simulations where humans either have to forfeit a loss or gamble for a huge gain or a greater loss, humans overwhelmingly will gamble there. Humans are terrible at admitting losses. This is why you never walk out of a movie. How many terrible movies have you seen in your life, and how many of them did you walk out of? The answer is you've probably seen hundreds of terrible movies. You've probably walked out of one or two of them. That's because the ticket price is still in your head, and you're going to give them your time now, even though there's no chance of you getting back your money. It's the same thing once people call, and for some reason, pairs are really hard for people to let go of. So in that case... Ace, five, eight, nine, you're looking at it. A lot of people say, I've got two options here, which is I either bet half pot or I check. Well, most people will take the half pot because I'm so aggressive. You can't take this aggression. 
That's how I know I'm a good poker player. I'm so aggressive. Oh, I'm so aggressive. You can't handle this aggression. Just deal with this aggression. It's like, well, if I got A7 there, I want you to be aggressive if you're just going to puss out on the river most of the time. But what's going to happen is what should happen is you, the other guy has what Matthew John described as a condensed range. A condensed range, a polarized range, we all know, because it was a buzzword for years, and that was the, hey, look, I'm smart, I understand poker, which is the guy has nothing or the guy has the world, right? So that was when a guy was triple barrel, triple barreling into you, you would say, he either made his flush or, or no, he, uh, his flush draw missed or he's got top set, right? Because I thought he would have checked top pair or even two pair, right? Or whatever it was. A condensed range is, I think this guy has pairs and pairs. So you bet kind of small on the ace I board and the guy calls you really quick. That's a bit of a timing pal. The guy just told you, I, well, because if he had an ace five, ace eight there, eight five, He's going to need to think for a second, like, do I really want to just call and check this turn and give this guy a chance to get to the river for, like, a third pot? So he's got to think there for a bit before he raises. And most of the time, what they do is, if they've got, like, just a pair, they just call really quickly. If they've got two pair, they think about it for a while, and then they'll call, right? If he calls you really quick, he just told you, I have a pair. Now the turn comes at night. Now he's got a condensed range. It is all pairs. It's, there's no two pairs here. There's no, especially if there's a flush draw. People always check raise their two pairs and sets with flush draws out there because the worst thing that could ever happen to you, according to most poker players, is letting somebody catch a draw, right? Oh, you patsy. How'd you do that? But the guy calls you. He's got a condensed range, and he checks you. The dumbest bet you could do here is half pot. If you bet half pot, it's like, allow me to value bet your pair, good sir. I have jack high. It, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, whereas there's two things you should do here. You could bet zero, as Matthew John has said, or you could just check, take your free card. That makes a lot of sense if you think the guy's not folding any of his pairs, or you could bet 2x pot. Because, think about it, if you've got a7 here and the guy bets 2x pot, how are you feeling, Barry? Yeah, not, not good. good. Well, you might. What most people do with me live is they cuss me out, and then they fold, right? Like you're so stupid. Da, 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 da. It's like yeah, yeah. I had. I, I love it when the guy clearly loses money at craps or something. You can always tell because that guy gets to stand up and call me a mother effer in front of everyone, and the floor is like I didn't hear anything. <laughs> but <laughs> that happened to me one time at the Venetian. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm calling you out. But, uh, yeah, anyway, no, uh, you bet 2x pot there. And then if the guy's going to do anything, he's going to call. Because he, he most like – now, this isn't foolproof. Sometimes the guy snap calls you with an ace, hey, you, you double barrel really big, and he goes, this is my lucky day. Or he's got fives, and he goes, this is my lucky day, and he jams on you. vast majority of the time, the guy has one pair, combinatoric-wise and timing-tell-wise. And what he's going to do is he's either going to call you or he's going to fold. And the fact that he calls you is insane because here's the thing. You're bet, if you bet two times the pot, that needs to work 66% of the time. Let's say you get a 17% rebate on that. Your 2x pot size bet now doesn't even need to work half the time. I don't know about you. I'm not calling half the time there on that turn if I called the flop with a five. Like most guys there, they got five, seven hearts out of the big line. They're like, okay, cool. I call the flop, right? And then uh, on the turn, the 2x pot co comes there, and they're like, they're sitting there with ace 10 thinking, I should pitch it. Well, you just gave up 80% of your hands. My pot is like that. And then five, once in a while, you get the like, all right, screw you, buddy. I call. And by the way, I love it when they do that live. They like stamp the chips in. It's like, gee, I wonder what he has, right? <laughs> like, I've never seen a guy do that with a set. And, I, again, you know, poker, poker's unbeatable, guys. People just tell you what hand they have. But, you know, it's unbeatable. And, well, think about it. Have you ever seen a guy call 2x pot on the turn to fold the half pot on the river? 
Like, do you think that's going to happen? <laughs> right? So you hit your draw. The, the, there's 45x in the flop. Uh, in the pot, you go, eh. all right, 20x, I call. And then you turn over the jack tad, and the guy, whoo, boy, I, I didn't know white people could be called racial slurs, but I found out they could be when you turn that over, right? You get, I, I get called slurs that don't even apply to my race when you turn over that. I have been called every name in the book because of this, right? And you will get... I've seen people smash the table, throw chairs and stuff. But the funny thing is, is like if they sat there and thought about it, what is he 2xing the pot and betting a half pot on the river? Does Ace King beat that? <laughs> I don't think he's expecting a fold most of the time, right? And it's but that that's one way you can do it. But yeah, most of the time, I'll be honest with you, if I just think the guy's gonna go, oh golly gee, I'll call, I just check the turn. But I think that's what you're running into right there, G. Good luck to you. Okay. And that's all from G from this for this week. And this last question we have that I've pulled is from Mark. And it's very short and succinct. And it simply says, How to play Big Blind Annies. Discuss. <laughs> So he's talking about this uh, big blind nanny. It's all I heard when yeah, I was. Sorry, in, go ahead. It, it, it's all I heard when I was in Vegas, and our mutual friend Carlos was raving about them, and lots of people were. And I, I've not played any yet, but um, essentially, for people that don't know, there's no aunties played. The big blind posts the ante, so every time you're big blind, you post aunties for the table. And it speeds up play. There's none of this who paid the ante, who didn't, etc. So you post the big blind and the ante when you're in the big blind and it goes around the table. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty so, tough process for the dealer. All right, look at this player. Is there an ante in front? Good. Look at this player. It's like it's not even matching like square peg to a square hole. It's just matching. Does this match <laughs> with this? Okay. That's <laughs> it. I love it when yeah. the dealer grabs all the annies and goes, we're missing one. It's like, we could have figured that out if you just left it there. Yeah, we, would, yeah. we wouldn't yeah. be in this situation. Half the time, I just throw the annie because I'm like, I'm not going to sit here for five minutes, right, while you all hold me hostage. And Yeah, now they're all in the middle. Yeah, yeah it's like that, that was <laughs> – no, it's like I've even said, like, you know, to one dealer, it was just like, just slow down. Look around. Who doesn't have their Annie in front of them? Chide them really gently the first time, a little less gently the second time, and the third time go, really? Really, dude? And you'll never have to deal with this again, right? We're not all Mike Mattisau on uh, high-stakes poker. Now, we here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm doing financial investing – I really like it when people are bleeding money and they don't notice it. That's an awesome thing. Now, if you make them pay their entire investment all at one time, guess what they're going to notice? Hey, this is a lot of money every orbit. I better do something to defend it. Which, here's the thing. Uh, how much does it change? I'll tell you what it changes. You make your race sizes bigger. A 4X is still not a call from the big blind. Like, now they can call, like, uh, my old rule used to be, like, 2.5X or under from the big blind with Annie's. Like, go, you can all just call with whatever the hell you want if you think you can check, raise, block the guy. I used to say that with my guys. Now, you're playing the big blind, Annie. You can go up to 3, 3.5X, depending on the guys, right? 4X still... Not the greatest idea, right? So if you're playing a big blind ante, 4X, if a guy goes, I have to call everything. I have jacked you. Suited. He calls from the big blind and then still doesn't check raise you. He's bleeding money. That's the biggest, uh, that, that's the biggest adjustment I would make. Now, theoretically, uh, let's say hijack opens, but in three bets, the big blind there has a huge incentive to cold four bet bluff because if they're just grouping, like it's essentially a double big blind, right? 
And let's say, like, I always loved when a guy would open a 2K on the button and I would make it 7K from the big blind. they go, why so big? And the thing would be, well, it's actually 6K because my big blind is dead, but okay. Uh, like, if you went to 2K and I went 6K on the button, you probably wouldn't go, why so big? But since people, you know, can't math, and they just see 7K and group it all together, that was a pretty solid 3-bet bluff. Now, if, like, let's say, now I have, like, a double big blind out there, and it gets all grouped together with my cold 4-bet size, I can get away with a lot of cold 4-bets that maybe I didn't get away with before. But since nobody, when everybody's like, why why do you harp on the 3-bet so much? other than, as we discussed in the last episode, it's the biggest sucker bet known to man for somebody to call you out of position there. My second question is always, when was the last time you four-bet semi-block? When was the last time you four-bet to get the three-better to cold call you? I mean, to call you, excuse me. And people go, never? And I go, that's why I three-bet. Because if you get a heads up, you, I don't care who you are, if the other guy's going to miss the board... Like, he's not going to have second pair or better two-thirds of the time. If you think you can run that down, which you can do with most people, this is not that hard of a game. He's going to play these big pots with you out of position with crap hands. This game isn't that hard. The only way you could mitigate it is with four-bet bluffing, four-bet semi-bluffing, right? But nobody from the big blind is doing it. And, man, I don't – I'm not big on this uh, – I'm not big on this big blind Annie. Like, yeah, I know. It, it, was, uh, it was pretty tough flinging one ship in and putting them all in a pile. But, yeah, I, I'm sorry that got too tough for us, guys. That was – but I don't – this is the most condescending I've felt on this podcast in a really long time, Barry. But don't you – doesn't it strike you as odd that we couldn't figure that out, how to gather? Are there nine in front of nine people? Good. All right, let's put it in the middle. Like, I know you get tired and sometimes, and I mean, to be fair to the dealers, poker players are always complaining, like, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. And it's like, well, if you annied, we wouldn't have to do this. Now, would yeah. we? Right? But uh, I don't know. I just, this pisses me off. I feel like this is going to lead my opponents to play better, and that never makes me happy. So, yeah, anyway. Uh I think, I think you make an important point about um, mute oh, okay, sorry. About the whole people starting to notice what it is in orbit. Because I notice when I play games, you know, some of the bigger buy-in events and stuff, and you've got these recreational players who are there for a good time and they're ABC poker or, you know, without stereotyping, the, the older guys or girls that are there and they're happy just to sit for as long as they can they let themselves bleed away when uh, the aunties come in and if they're not picking up cards before you know it they're dwindling down to 15 big blinds and then 10 big blinds and I've seen you know 5, 6 big blinds and then they'll put it in or they'll call or whatever whereas if someone's posting you know when the tournament kicks in and the blinds are you know, two and four thousand, and the guy sitting there with a, um, say a a sixty k stack, fifteen big blinds, and he has to post these four thousand, and then the other, I'm assuming four and a half thousand for the antes or whatever. He's putting in eight and a half now of his sixty k, and he's down to fifty. Then it, you know, suddenly dawns on him, well, it's folded to me. This button's raised, or he ships, and the guy's got a king. Whereas he would just insta-muck, you know, he's 4,000 and I've got another way to last round or whatever, he's probably going to play more, like you say, and then that's going to bring a bit more variance in. Yeah, he's playing closer to correct at that point. Like Exactly. It's kind of forcing him to play. It's forcing people to play and make calls and plays that are closer to what you should be doing, but they would never do in a million years if they weren't in that spot. Yeah, I don't, it's just one of those things like, oh, it speeds up the game. It's like, this is how we're going to speed up the game? 
Like, you guys made it clear to me a long time ago you did not care about the speed of live poker. I, it, it, if you want a fast game, go play 16 tables on ACR. That'll be plenty fast, right? I, I just don't get If you go to play live poker, it's not going to be quick. That's the whole point. It's supposed to be slow. You don't go to a baseball game for fast action. You don't play live nine-handed poker for fast action. You sped up the game by what? Five seconds in orbit? Well done, gang. Like, wow, let's all pat ourselves on the back. We did such a great job. I'm sure that 64-year-old guy feels real comfortable with this new change, but good for you. You feel good. That's the most important thing. Sorry. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Um, okay, so Alex won't be playing any big blind anti games in Vegas. Or maybe, you know, no, he won't be. He'll be playing the main event and then working on products for you guys. Yeah. The next one is how, how to beat big blind anti games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's all we got time for this episode. That, I've, I've run out of questions that I've pulled onto my uh, notepad. So, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your upcoming products, your existing products? and anything else that they want to get in touch with you about. If you guys want to sign up for my newsletter to get free strategy articles, free podcasts, free training videos, uh, pretty much every day of the week that I can get one out to you. So it's usually like every other day. I, I tend to take weekends off, but try, try to do four to five a week. Go ahead and go to PokerHeadRush.com. Go to the top right, and there's a sign-up for my newsletter button. I promise you the newsletter is way prettier than my little personal blog I spent like $20 on 10 years ago. Uh, go to follow me on Twitter, at the TheAssassinato. Fo- follow my training videos. I'm doing classic training videos for Tournament Poker Edge. If you guys want some really in-depth content, uh, check that out. And... Uh, Write me at alex at com if uh, you guys want to talk about anything. Okay, and keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at oneouter.com on email or tweet at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, thanks for um, joining us again. This was a double today to get them so that there will be a podcast when you're in Vegas. I joked at the start about asking how your main event goes, but you're away to play that uh, next week. You're leaving for Vegas. So good luck in that. I really mean that uh, sincerely, especially, again, because I bought a PC for your <laughs> newsletter thing. So, you know, I, I've got skin in the game, uh, yeah. as you say. So, uh, yeah, good luck to you, and we'll hear from you when you're back. Thanks for listening, everyone, and cheers. cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.